<laughs> just keeps calling me. <laughs> Somebody get him a Shasta. From the pages of the Salt Lake Tribune, straight to your earphones, this is Tribune Sports Radio. All right, welcome to episode 48. Might as well jump into this right now. Uh, welcome to episode 48 of Tribune Sports Radio. Uh, a guest panel today uh, from the Salt Lake Tribune, uh, beat writers uh, Aaron Falk. What's up, guys? Tony Jones. Hola. And new friends, uh, Steve Loom. How you doing, Steve? Hello. Thanks and, for having me. And uh, let's, uh, with always on my left-hand side, Mr. Kevin Winter-Morris. How are you, Benny? <laughs> doing good, Kevin. So, Steve, uh, since we haven't really had a chance to talk to you during, this, uh, during the course of the season, t- uh, give us some of your impressions about this Utah Jazz season. Uh, maybe we can almost start with a uh, mea culpa with Tony, because how many games do you say that they're going to win this year? I said 36, and you guys said I was nuts. You Remember fell that? ass backwards into 36. <laughs> <laughs> but remember when I said I, – I understand that. But remember when I said 36 and you guys were like, you're nuts. I was supporting you on this one because I'm a fan. I'm not, I don't cover the Jazz. So Kevin said I was nuts. Kevin said 30 at the most. Yeah. I did. I had 23, so I, w- I was a little <laughs> off. <laughs> so I just I just want all of the the, 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 the love to come come on in. <laughs> Tony, you were right. Going to be waiting a while, Tony. <laughs> no, but Steve, what, I mean, you said 23. You must be impressed with this 36. Uh, uh, by all accounts, it's, it's got to be considered a successful season. Oh, absolutely. No, no question, Gobert, to me, came from nowhere. I mean, I thought – going into the season if he was a contributor it'd be three four years down the road I no idea he could impact the game like he has um I've thought you know Donnie Dante Axum hasn't shot well but I thought you know for a 19 year old kid I, I keep going back to this number at this point in his rookie career John Stockton was 23 Dante Axum is 19 I mean uh, in your own life how, how did you change physically and emotionally from the time you were 19 from the time you were 23 I think Donnie Don't Dante Exum <laughs> I think Donnie Exum has had a terrific pounds <laughs> I thought I thought he's had a terrific season I think there's a lot to build on there um, Hayward's very good I've always thought Hayward was very good probably more so than many people the first few years uh, uh, favors has gotten better I'm not saying he's Carl Malone but you can see the progress of a big strong athletic power forward that that favors is made and you can you can project that he's getting better so all uh, that was a long answer to your short question they had a very good season they had a lot to build on they're not there yet people can't be disappointed if they don't make the playoffs next year but i think it's a realistic goal what do you think that they have to work on the most steve i think they need i still think in this in the nba they need shooters you know maybe alec burks come burke uh, burks comes back and does that and helps them maybe they draft but you know hood was a great addition in that respect he he can stretch a defense in this day and age you need shooters especially with the jazz seemingly set up with a couple of big guys you know for for down the road so you just need shooters you need athletic guys who can defend um that's what they need to keep adding in my opinion tony what do you think um i you know i I, i'd echo a lot of what steve said I, i think that you know, I, and I, I'll actually take it one step further. I think that what the Jazz need, they need to, to fortify their bench. Um, they need to um, um, 
uh, they need to, to find a backup center, whether that be Ante Tomic, um, uh, the Barcelona center, or not. Um, and, and they need more shooting. They need more shooting in more spots. Now, uh, the one thing that I will say, and this is something you could not say earlier in the season, I think that the Jazz have – now, before I say this, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that this is going to happen. Okay, so you're not prognosticating. I'm not prognosticating. I'm, I'm not being – you know, you know. This is just you know, TJ prediction. This is, this is just what I see. Yeah. I see a potential – I see a guy that you can see making at least one all-star team in his career at all five positions. At all five positions, I could see that guy that's at that position making at least one all-star team. Who is it? And and you're saying Rodney Hood over Alec Burks? I'm saying Rodney Hood, yeah. I'm saying Rodney Hood. That's the guy I'm saying. So, I mean, from Hood to, to Hayward to Favors to Gobert to, to Exum. Now, now the guy who I think will be multiple all-stars is Gobert. Mm-hmm. I, think I think that Gobert is somebody that I don't think anybody else in the NBA has. Um, not even not even Indiana where Roy Hibbert has, you know, that his kind of wing protection protection with the way he can defend out on the floor like Gobert can. Um, you know, so when you have something like that, you know, it, it's 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 pretty special and, you know, I, I can see this team really kinda taking off next year and I think that five years down five years down the road I think jazz fans are gonna look at this season um, as the turning point in, in, in the fortunes of the franchise. So lock I, it up. I, Tony says all five guys make see, the All Star that, team. That's next exactly year. what I did. Lock that in. That's, what, lock that that's in. why I right. wanted. To, that's why I wanted to make sure that I put a lot of. <laughs> Steve, you were you were at the practice facility when they drafted Gobert that night, and I, I remember we were there, and um, Dennis Lindsay came down, and there was also the night that they traded for Trey Burke, and so I, that was the big buzz. And then it was when when Dennis Lindsay came down to talk about that, they hadn't finalized the stuff on on Gobert yet, and everyone was like, "Who is this guy?" Like, mm-hmm. and and it's surprising that now when you look at it, Gobert's going to be the name that everyone knows, and who knows about Trey Burke and what what his role is in the future. It's easy to point the finger at Denver and say. You got Eric Green and paid money for Rudy Gobert. Right. I mean, it's going to go down in Denver as one of the most. It's going to go down if, in the NBA. Yeah, if Gobert continues, you know, right. to, to right. progress, this is going to go down in a, in a really bad light for Denver. Um, what I remember about the trade is finding out, and there's been various amounts. You guys probably know better than I, but I heard um, immediately it was like $2 million. It may be more than that. That Denver, That's going to turn out to be such a bargain. Yeah. And yeah. at the time you got to give Greg Miller credit for pulling the trigger on that because at the time you're going, Rudy Gobert, $2 million just to get his rights, but it's going to turn out to be a great deal for Utah, it looks like, and a really bad deal for Denver. That's what I remember thinking draft night is, why would they they do this? Right. Right. Here's the thing on that Gobert, Trey and Aaron knows this, um, that nobody knew at the time, but, you know, people know now, Gobert had – a fantastic draft workout with with the Jazz. I mean, just just fantastic, and um, nobody knew that then. You know, for the other initiative I, and for myself on this, when, when you mean like a fantastic workout, you know, they bring these guys in yeah, for to explain how that works. You know, they'll bring they'll bring a group of draft prospects in two, three, four, or even individual, and they'll you know put them through all kinds of drills and testing, and you know just 
just you know they'll play one on one with them and, and uh-huh. you know things and and you know Gobert came in and just performed performed through the roof and you know I'm sure that Dennis Lindsay went to 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 uh, um to to Greg Miller and was just like look this guy has a a really really high ceiling it's going to take him a few years to get there but I guarantee you that this is going to be something that's worth it mm-hmm. and so. Yeah. He beat yeah. up on, uh, I believe it was Gorgie Jang. Yeah, it was Gorgie Jang. Yeah, worked out against in Salt Lake, which is one of the reasons Minnesota ended up passing on Gobert, is because Gobert in his workout with the Timberwolves went up against Stephen Adams, who was just who like flips on just says was the Hulk in that workout and just beat up on Rudy, and so uh-huh. you know it's like it's a really weird imperf- imperfect kind of this you know this one on one. I guess that's why you're always gathering stuff you know you've got scouts over the seas all the time but it's still when it comes down to that you get that eye test one-on-one and it could just go either way right it's just very strange i heard such good things different different draft different workout i heard such good things about how brandon davies from byu worked out for the jazz i think i told you guys i said yeah, i think the jazz are going to take him in the first round he, <laughs> he worked out great i keep hearing that this is like one of the best workouts they've ever seen anybody have i was convinced I don't remember exactly which pick they had that drive, like 21 or 24 or eight, whatever it was. I was I was convinced that they were going to take Brandon Davies, and you know he's kicked around the NBA a little bit, but clearly not a not a first round pick. So got to take those with a grain of salt. But um, I know Tony knows that Gobert worked out well for the Jazz, and that was the, the the turning point for them. What do you think the turning point was in the season for the Jazz? Was well, actually, before we get into that, let's talk more about what the. Uh, the, hire, uh, the hiring of bringing on a new coach uh, for this year in Quinn Snyder. Uh, was he the right coach, in your opinion, Steve, to uh, kind of take this new group of guys and kind of get these 36 wins they've had this year? I, you know, I got to be honest, I was skeptical. Um, he, he's had some things in his past, and everybody makes mistakes, but, but uh, it, things did not go well for him in Missouri. Um, he, he dropped out of coaching for a while. Um, you know, in a in a coaching in the coaching profession, if you get if you get that off that upper trajectory, it's sometimes hard to get back on it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you you lose you lose the luster fast in the minds of many people. But credits to credit to the Jazz people for for finding him, going after him, looking beyond some of those things. He's done a terrific job. I mean, if you want to name the top six or seven coaching jobs in the league this year, Quinn Snyder's got to be there. I think. Uh, he's done a terrific job. Uh, hasn't hasn't playing excited. Hasn't playing defense. Has developed these guys. He's he's done a terrific job. Just from practice, what have you seen the difference between Snyder and say uh, uh, Coach uh, Corbin from last year? Just seems to be an enthusiasm to play for him. Mm-hmm. Um, that that means a lot in the N- in the NBA. Just guys wanting to play for this guy, and and to a coach's credit, he cultivates that. And uh, you know Tyrone Corbin, I've known for a long time. I was I was sorry to see him go. He probably had to go at that point, uh, uh, but he didn't. He, he didn't get guys for whatever reason. Short season, uh, uh, expiring contracts, whatever. He didn't get that. The, the Snyder, this guy, he's got he's got the Jazz playing hard and, and one through fifteen, and and that's that's really important in the NBA. Tony, you, you've you've covered basketball at the college level. You were covering the Utes before you you started covering the Jazz, and where Quinn did come from, the college ranks. Do you feel like there is a, a college feel to the Jazz, or has he as Snyder made that transition and made it and and coaches it like other NBA coaches? Or, or you know, Steve's mentioning that enthusiasm and that energy to play for him. 
that you see a lot in college. Is there are there similarities there, or has Snyder kind of transitioned from that college coach into the professional in your mind? I, I'd say there are similarities. Um, and I think the similarity the similarities that I would bring up is that you know Snyder Quinn works his guys like a college coach will work his guys like you know he he practices you know he practices hard he practices long he practices frequently uh and and his player development is, is similar to what you would see um to me um in the, co- in, the, in, the in a college coach but you know in so many ways he's he's made the transition um you know he's he's more than one or two steps removed from Missouri I mean right. he's you know he's been with the Austin Turles you know, he's been in the San Antonio Spurs organization. He went overseas uh, and, and coached in Russia, and he he's he's he was with the Hawks. Um, and you know, I thought that um, for the team that they were going to have, which was extremely young, which was the youngest in the league, I mean, I thought that he was absolutely the right coach because you know he, he they wanted the Jazz needed to bring somebody in that was going to be a player development guy, and he's been a plus in in that. In, in, in that realm this year. Every guy on this team, um, you can make a reasonable um, argument is a better basketball player right now uh, than they were in November. And, and I, I think that that's, uh, that's been the biggest um, development for, for Quinn Snyder and, and, and the job that he's done here. Mm-hmm. Aaron, for you, when you kind of look at the Jazz and, and the role that Quinn has played in, in helping them reach the level that they have, what do you see as the? What do you see kind of in the the off season, which starts very soon? Um, what what changes do you think? What pieces are going to be moved or or kind of need to be tweaked in order to to make that jump from hey, this team is really good and could make and could possibly be a playoff team to all right, now this is a playoff team. What do you, what? How do you see that those pieces kind of changing in the off season? Yeah, well, I, I think one of the things that like Tony was saying that Quinn tried to do at Missouri was. They, they went out and they tried to get at least the best athletes, and then they thought that they could te- coach them up to uh, to a higher level. Yeah. Then, you know, and I, and I think what they found there was you, there is a ceiling. So what <laughs> what you're going to see is eventually, whether it's this uh, this summer or next, there's going to be talent upgrades. I mean, as much as Quinn and these guys have done a great job of of improving things, there is a ceiling on a lot of these guys, especially these these guys that are, are great D-League stories, you know, right. they're, they're performing well. By and large, there's a reason these guys were in the D-League to start this year. And, and obviously, there's, you know, you've got to upgrade talent. One of the things right now is point guard play. And Exum will get there probably, I feel like, eventually. Maybe maybe even Trey has another um, step or two in, in his development. It's tough to give up on point guards after two years. It's, it's a position that... You know, if it's the mo- if it's truly the most important position on the team, it's certainly one of the hardest to learn as well. Um, but I think that if they're going to compete, they've got to have an upgrade there. And if they don't think that they can get that internally quickly, especially in the case of Trey, that, that's a position I think that they go out and try to do something with. Now, what Exum has brought to the starting lineup in terms of defense, maybe you can't replace that. Even even with a trade or, or a free agent free agent acquisition this summer, but somewhere along the lines they they have to upgrade there. And then, like Steve said, shooting. I mean, this team, yeah. you know, Snyder wants to space, you know, pace and space, work the ball around, get open shots, and it's tough when, by and large, Rodney Hood's been your 
only real three-point option. I mean, Chris Johnson at times has, you know, been able to knock down some shots from the corner, not at a great clip. Um, Elijah Millsap, you know, could be a special defender, but turnover prone and and isn't knocking down his shots at at the clip that they necessarily want. Um, You know, Joe Ingles has played a lot of minutes, but no one expected (laughs) Joe Ingles to play those minutes. And so, you know, maybe there's an upgrade uh, somewhere along there too. And I don't know if it's Alec. Um, but yeah, that they've got to get better point guard play across the board, and Exum has certainly taken a step in the right direction of late, and they have to improve the shooting. Well, we've talked about this on the podcast a bunch of times that during the uh, March Madness, there uh, Exum was the youngest point guard from any of the basketball teams here in Utah. Yeah, you know, I mean, from the Utes to the BYU starting Utes, point guard, yeah, starting sure. point guard. I mean. Steve, but you've seen uh, lots of these guys come through here, or maybe not so many. Well, you had a long stretch with John mm-hmm. Stockton, but mm-hmm. with it, I mean, give a report card on XM, and do you agree with uh, Falk's take on that? I agree uh, completely. I'd say I'd say a B plus, uh, just because I, he's a good defender. He's he's big enough to play some posi- couple positions. If he if he could shoot, he'd be the perfect com- combo. He's perfect size to be a play both guard spots if he. He can shoot better, and guys, I've seen it. They can make themselves better shooter if they want to, if they decide to, and if they work all summer long yeah. on it, they can be better shooters. Um, I think I think he's had a really good rookie year. I hate to keep going back to his age. Uh, you know, you, when you're playing, you don't pull out your birth certificate and show Chris <laughs> Paul, "Hey, I'm only 19, so take it easy on me." Yeah. But but he is only 19, and it's a fact. And and uh, he's in something that that I just can't fathom me being in. When I was yeah, 19, as far as emotionally and, and worldly and, and travel in big cities, it's just, just unbelievable to me what, what these young men, the, the situation they're put in and how they respond. And I thought he's responded well And he's that. done the one thing that they didn't think he would do, which is defend. I mean, he's already, right. <laughs> I mean, he's already work, working his way toward being a, a Seriously, an elite point guard and, defender. And, and I mean, eventually, not not nearly there yet, but he's so long and so quick. He can shut people down at the point. I mean, and he's he's doing that. And the the leap he's made in the last couple of weeks, month or so, um, distributing and, and and he's really all gripe for you know seven months of the season about him not being aggressive enough, not getting in the paint. He's starting to do that, and he's starting to show off a little bit of, of uh, willingness to, to, you know, take a floater, to take a little bit of a of a step back, kind of mid range jump shot, which is gives him, you know, a reason to go into the paint. Because now he doesn't just have to go in there and, you know, bang bodies. Yeah, bang bodies, or, or and 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 figure out, you know, a, a pass that may not be there. Now he's got an out always. Yeah. Well, here, here's the thing with Dante. Since uh, the, I, I believe, and I might be off by a game of this buy a game with this, but they are, tw- I believe they are 25 and 16 with him in the starting lineup. And this does not coincide with Rudy because Dante has started, started, I believe, what, a whole a 10, 10 to 12 games before he Rudy. Even. Mil- at Milwaukee. He I started, believe. the first yeah. game he started was at Milwaukee. Um, and, and so they're, they're about 25 and 16 with him in the starting lineup. They're plus five per 100, 100 possessions with him in the starting lineup. And you know why? That's because he keeps guys out of the paint, <laughs> and 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 he uh, and he defends. And so you're looking at the Jazz being being able to win with Dante Exum at his rawest point. 19 won't be 20 until July. So you get him and you get him into P3. You get him with some strength. You get him into an 
in the offseason. He'll be here most of the summer. He'll go home to Australia for about two to three weeks just to decompress, and, and that's what the Jazz want him to do. But he's going to be here training um, for, for most of the summer. He's going to play in both summer leagues, uh, and, and he's going to stay here after summer league. I don't think that he's going to go back um, um, for a long period of time. So, you know, clearly, you know, he's, he's, he's really uh, a project that the Jazz want to develop. I think that he's going to be the starting point guard next year. With the time that you've I, spent with him, do you see the maturity come from a night? Because Steve keeps hitting this 19-year-old, and I, I mean, while you guys are talking, I'm going back to me being at 19. It's like it's borderline legal happening. <laughs> so, no, no, he's, he's a mature No, yeah. he's a mature guy. Yeah. Um, like, you know, is he a self-starter to get this done for the Oh, Utah? absolutely. That's not even a question. Um, he's, but he's, you know, he's, he's a mature guy um, to me. Um, especially in the way he plays on the floor. You know, the maturity comes with the fact that, hey, I know that I'm not able to go into the paint and finish right now. I'm not going to try to do more uh, than I'm capable of at this point. And the maturity comes with the fact that he's deferred to Gordon Hayward, and his insertion into the starting lineup has forced Gordon Hayward to handle the ball more, which has been good for the Jazz. Um, And it wasn't necessarily that way with Trey Burke. You know, when Trey Burke – has been in the starting lineup, you know, there Gordon Hayward's usage has gone down, and you don't want that. You want Gordon Hayward's usage up. And uh, and that's why I think that leads me to believe that I think that, that Dante will be the starting point guard. Now, the Jazz may upgrade at the spot, but I think it, if they do, I think it will be at the backup spot. They'll bring in a veteran. Um, they'll bring in a veteran, you know, to play 20 minutes a game. I, I just – Given the fact that he's made leaps, given the fact that he's he's physically he's you know he's he's physically elite for his position with his size um, and his speed, and given the fact that he's lottery pick, and, and given the fact that they had a terrible season in <laughs> order to draft Dante Exum, I just don't see um, them. I, I just don't see the Jazz you know, bring in a starter or Drew Holiday or, or Ty Lawson or whoever um, and, and sitting and sitting him back down. I think that the Jazz believe that they can win uh, with him, and I think that they believe they can make the playoffs with him. Now, I may be wrong, but that's, that's, that's my belief at this point. Well, uh, Steve, then, again, you have that experience. Is it time to give up on Trey Burt? I don't know if you give up on him, but I think, uh, I think uh, Exum's play – I think the play of this kid that's come in, granted, it's only been a couple games, Cotton, um, I think that shows you you can get a third point guard mm-hmm. when you want to find out. I think it gives us some options. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you, if you pick 12th or 13th in the draft, depending on what they do tonight, um, and you put Trey Burke with them, and you put a future second round with them, uh, do, you, do you move up and, and be able to help yourself? I, you, you can never have too many options it's kind of harsh to say, but but you can never have too many options with guys. Yeah. And the Jazz have a lot invested in in uh, Trey Burke. Uh, he's he seems like a good guy when I've talked to him. Seems like a seems like a, a a good. I've I've kind of been a fan. I think he's a good player. Mm-hmm. I think he can play in league. But but man, you can never have too many options because you never know when a GM like in New Jersey going to call up and offer you four first-round draft picks for, for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. I mean, right. bam, then you go and you ruin that franchise for 10 years and you, and you improve yourself down the road. 
you just you can never have too many assets because it is a it is a cold business and yeah. and the more players that other other teams deem valuable that you have the better position you're in. And Trey it could Burke, be Burke handled that like just a pro as as, yeah. as mature yeah. and as well as you um, could want to handle something like that. And, and, you know, I was in the locker room when that whole thing went down and, you know, you could tell that he didn't agree with it. Um, um, but he's said the right things and he's done the right things, at least publicly. Um, and, and, you know, he's, he's, he has to be commended for that because I don't think um, there are too many players uh, in this league that would have handled um, that would have handled being demoted for a 19-year-old Dante Exum the way that he did. So you're saying he's kind of the anti-Ennis Cannon. Well, I'm glad we brought that up because <laughs> now that the mics are fired up, Steve, what was the Oklahoma City game like when they came to uh, Salt Lake? Well, uh, from what I could tell, uh, Ennis made a fool out of himself. <laughs> that, that being said, um, you know, that's probably that – it is how he felt, obviously, but, but there are ways to handle it and – we just talked about be, making yourself valuable in the NBA. Well, yeah. he didn't. He probably didn't hurt himself, but he doesn't help himself by by spouting off and saying that kind of stuff. And I've known for a couple years, just like these guys, he he hasn't been real happy. He didn't like Corbin. He didn't like the way he was being used. But to go out like that and to with the theatrics, it it didn't help him. Him. That's what those guys have to be in business for. Bottom line is. So, so did he have like the attitude like he's a, a Ferrari stuck in the garage or he's like a thoroughbred locked in a stable or it, was it just, I mean, how many players are in the NBA? You know, uh, whatever the. 15 times 30. So. Yeah. Uh, Four fifty. That many. Four fifty. smarter listening will tell us this, but I mean, it's like he's still got a pretty good gig working for a pretty fr- uh, classy franchise here. Like, I mean, did his behavior merit his. Uh, did his playing his happiness merit his behavior at the end of it? It wasn't so much Cantor. I think these guys will agree. They, 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 they know it. It was it was Gobert. It was Gobert coming on and coming on and coming on and needing time and and Quinn Snyder seeing that that was his answer uh, as opposed to, to to Favors and Cantor playing together down there. Um, and that that Ennis didn't get that. I think. And again, he, he you know he, he's never been confronted with. Nobody's probably ever told him he wasn't quite good enough. And this was probably the first time he was. It's like all of us when we get cut from our first team. And mom and dad always tell you how great you are. And then when you're 13 years old and you get cut from a team, and it's oh my God, everybody hates me. Well, he's probably the first time he got cut from a team, so he didn't he didn't react to it very well. I, I enjoyed that game probably. As my, I watched probably 42 games this year. You know, obviously uh, 41, like half as many of you guys have covered and stuff. But I liked that because it was the first time I ever saw. A feisty Utah Jazz team, like a physical <laughs> kind of, you know, barroom brawlish jazz team, which, you know, reminded me a lot of John Stockton's play out there. Carmelo was a brawler. You know, but that toughness that, we, that was, hasn't been associated with the jazz for a while, there was a nice flash of that. I mean, did you see that, Falk, or am I? Yeah, that's why, that's why I'll never complain about a guy doing what everyone else says is, you know, foolish or unprofessional. <laughs> 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 you know, a- Ennis... I, I like I like a little bit of of honesty and a little bit of uh, showmanship in there. You know, it's, yeah. all these guys are so nice to each other all the time. Absolutely. You know, they're all they're all buddies. They all go work out in the same gyms in the summer, or or you know, it's kind of that you know AAU superstar mentality that that's kind of come up. And it's fun every once in a while when they hate each other. 
Well, it's like it's, who are the best characters in the WWE? Well, that, and that's exactly. I mean, that's Phillips, exactly it. For, you know? I mean, that's exactly it for Ennis. I mean, that dude for real loved, loves, <laughs> currently professional wrestling. I mean, he has a nickname. He called himself the Undercanter, <laughs> <laughs> and he did. It was, it was. I mean, for real. Like he said when he when he was drafted, like, hey, after basketball, I want to be a professional wrestler, and he was an outstanding heel. Yeah. You know what was he? Was he the Ferrari stuck in the garage? He's. I think he's a good player. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a nice. Player I think he's half a good player. Well. He's yeah. I mean, there are there I are. I think Golden State is going to score 125 yeah, there points are, there a game. There are in the obviously playoffs. defensive issues, and 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 he even said he didn't bring it every night. So there are some, you know, um, you know mental mentality, um, you know, things that they some toughness that he has to show. But there, there are tons of guys that have had pretty nice careers in the league, basically doing what Ennis Cantor can do. Yeah. And so I think he was, you know, I think he was. He was pissed that he, that he, at least he and his people saw him as. Well, I think Ma- Max's agent said he's a he's a generational talent or something like that, right? Like uh, uh, in that in that now infamous radio interview, um, <laughs> you know, and that's how they viewed him. And and if he's only playing ten minutes, eleven minutes a game, they felt like th- that his growth had been stunted. And then by the time this year comes around, and he sees that he's not going to be. You know the the stud 100 percent of the time, and Rudy's going to push him. So, a yeah. dog. Let me ask you this. Yes, T dog. <laughs> Is it a coincidence that the Jazz became the best defensive team in the league when Ennis left, and then when Ennis went to OKC, OKC became the worst defensive team in the league? No, and it is not coincidence. He is a Minus a bad defender. Okay. Absolutely. But they were still trending positive before that trade. That is true. I will say that. Before that trade. Now, obviously, you insert Gobert, who literally is getting not a third-place defensive player of the year vote from me um, this year. He has been outstanding. He is is and will be the front-runner for that award next year. You got to allow for that because – you got to allow for that because – Gobert, I mean, we talk about generational talents. Gobert looks like a generational defensive talent. Yeah. He, Go, so, I mean, I, I think somebody, I can't I, remember who I, it was, but somebody said for- Rudy Gobert is the reason, you know, for the next 57 foot stiffs that get drafted, it's Rudy Gobert's fault because right. everyone is going to be on, on the hunt for that, that guy again, you know. And like, right. The guys that can't walk and chew bubble gum yeah. at the same time, but, but they have seven foot nine wingspans. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I agree with I agree with you there. Um Ennis has gotta grow up, man. And that that's that's the thing with him. He's gotta realize that he's playing professional basketball and he's gotta carry himself like a professional. And, you know, he's gotta work on some of the things that he that he's not great at. Like he's a great scorer in the paint. Everybody knows that. He's a great he's a terrific offensive rebounder. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. He's an awful passer. And he's an unwilling passer, and he's always been an unwilling passer, and that hurts him offensively. Mm. And defensively, we've all, we, everybody knows what well, that why is. Why don't you tell us, Tony? How much huh? do you hate his defense? Just tell I, us again. I, so just his just like I said, horrific. <laughs> I think part of the reason he was, I think he's a little better passer than people here saw. I think he was an, an unwilling passer because he felt like 
okay, I'm coming off the bench. I got to score. Maybe they yeah. even told mm-hmm. him that. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I, he's been a little better that way in, in Oklahoma City. And I and I think I think Oklahoma City some of their problems defensively too is Durant's known as a sensational scorer, but when you got a player like that, it takes pressure off of all parts of your game. Right. He can score. He puts the ball in the basket so teams can't run it back up down your throat right. uh, yeah. in transition. Right. So Cantor need Cantor is not a good defensive player, but but there I think there's some extenuating cir- circumstance for his right. defense. I also think here he was an unwilling passer because he wasn't happy. He, I didn't, he didn't like his role. Sure. Yeah. And again, maybe they even told him you're in there to score. So right. And the other thing you have to allow, see me in the interest of fairness, the other thing you have to allow with OKC's defensive rating plummeting is the fact that Serge Ibaka has been hurt for the last yeah. month and a half. So you know you allow that. And, 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 you know, when, when, when Ennis is on the floor and Serge Ibaka is healthy, that works defensively because Serge Ibaka is one of the top four or five rim protectors that we have in the league. Yeah. They, they so. let Harden go because they saw Ibaka as the better complement to Westbrook. And, yeah, and that Durant. was dumb. Uh-huh. I, it, it was <laughs> dumb, but that's that's the kind of a player that they – defensive right. player, yeah. in, inside player that, that Ibaka is when he's healthy and, and can be. They took him, probably because he's a little cheaper too, over Harden. Yeah, yeah. So oh. does this OKC, the OKC and Golden State, is that interesting? Is that an interesting series for you, Aaron? Oh, absolutely interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and why would that be? Uh, because at one point, Russell Westbrook's going to take like 60 shots in a game. <laughs> but they're getting – okay. Can is you, it, it's just from, one a co- from a competition standpoint – they're going to get Ibaka back. He's going to be healthy. It, all they have, well, if they get in, but they will get in because New Orleans is playing the Spurs, and there's no way New Orleans is going to beat the Spurs because they have something to play for. So they're going to get – OKC is going to get in. They'll get Ibaka healthy back. They'll get him back healthy. Can that Oklahoma City team with Serge Ibaka, can they, can they extend Golden State? Can they extend them in six games? Can they extend them in seven games? Oh no! If that if it does happen, and we're recording this Wednesday, by the way, yeah. so everything you know, New Orleans OKC is still if, up in the air as right. of tonight. But yeah, if it does, if that does happen, no, I don't think I don't think there are many people that are going to match up with Golden State. First of all, but yes, again, let's allow for some spectacle. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna going to eventually get to some good basketball. You know, good back and forth, grind it out. You know, two even foes battling to the end right now let's see a nightmare let's watch Russell Westbrook go bonkers for a couple of games and do everything he can to try to win one or two games the, the thing about that that series matchup would be Westbrook isn't going to be guarded by Curry probably not even Clay Thompson he's going to be guarded by, by Green by he's going to be guarded by Iguodala Barnes, yeah. and and Barnes and those guys you know not as quick I I got to tell you I've watched NBA basketball for a long time, and I don't remember guys as big and strong as Westbrook, as explosive to the basket. I mean, I think he's he's Russell, pretty he's unique there. Russell Westbrook is the reason he, why the Jazz cannot afford to recruit over Dante Exum because Dante Exum right now is six foot six and two hundred pounds and has and the in, potential. And in four years, he's going to be the one guy that's physically capable of staying in front of West, Russell Westbrook. And you have to develop that as fast and as quick as humanly possible. 
I think I think it'll be fun to watch Igudala and, and Green and and it'll be fun to watch how Kerr tries to match up with Westbrook if that series does does uh, come about because um, I'm I'm a, been a big fan of Igudala all along and Green has proved himself to be a really good defender yeah, in a lot of Dre positions. Thompson's even not bad, but but there's certainly this is not going to be a straight point guard on point guard because Golden State's <laughs> not going to put Curry on Westbrook and and risk that him getting run over about four times in the, <laughs> in the first five minutes of uh, of game one. Hey Tony, I got a question for you. So it's your first year working as an NBA beat writer. You've been out on the road. Give me a couple horror stories about being on the road. Uh, or like, what would, uh, how's this been? Uh, how's this whole season treated you so far? Well, it was it was hard keeping um, all the women <laughs> off of me when I was on the road. You know, Hello, Mrs. Were... Tony Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Glad that you're listening. It was, it was, you know, I had to let everybody know that I was married and that, you know, they couldn't, uh, you know, line up in front of the hotel. No, let me stop. <laughs> Um, Are, were they there for you? <laughs> I just want to make sure. It was a work stop. I mean, I mean, I mean, those other guys that you were you were in the same hotel. They didn't make much, too much money. They're not real tall and handsome. They, but just want to make sure. Yeah, you never I, seen groupies outside of a Fairfield. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I had a, a couple of snafus traveling. Um, oh, hit me, man! What, what happened? What, uh, uh, on the six-game road trip, I uh, I got into Minnesota a full 25 minutes before game time because my flight was delayed for hours and hours. Don't go U.S. Air. If you're an <laughs> NBA beat writer, don't go U.S. Air. I went U.S. Air three times. I was delayed for five hours at least twice. Oh, so um, I got into Phoenix one time about an hour before game time because – um, Southwest forgot to load the luggage onto the plane. Um, for the entire plane. For the entire plane. <laughs> <laughs> so they were they were at the runway. They were we were at the runway ready to take off, and we went back to the terminal and loaded the luggage. Um, and then got you back in rotation. They got yeah. Taxi and take off. That, that took a long time. <laughs> so you know I've learned to try not to fly. If you can help it, try not to fly the day of games and. You know, just don't eat everything on the road like I did this year. <laughs> what was some uh, of the best meals you had? Well, I had Chinese food in New Orleans, which was very mismatched. And Aaron, <laughs> and when I tweeted that, Aaron was like, "What are you doing? You're in New Orleans." Uh, a legitimate fair, I point. I don't think I tweeted that. I think everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, um, I missed that one because I would have said that too. Highlights. Um, going back, going back home to DC mm-hmm. and. And having my mother pick me up at the airport, that was that was phenomenal. I said, Mom, we got to go to the ghetto Chinese food spot. <laughs> and she took me to the ghetto Chinese food spot, and I had pork fried rice and chicken wings for $4.25. And um, um, that was great. And seeing my sister in Charlotte was great. And um, seeing a lot of my family in Cleveland was great. You know, when me and Aaron were, were divvying up the um, – the, the road, the, uh, road the, responsibilities. The, the road responsibility. I said, I want the Cleveland trip. And he looked at me and he said, it's all you, man. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Tony. Cleveland in January? Go ahead. You got it. Tony went down the line and said, where can I get bad Chinese food? And I said, any one of these things. <laughs> you can do it. But I, I got to say this, man. Aaron, look, I, this is my first year on the beat, and, and Aaron could not have been a better um, person colleague or friend to work with mm-hmm. um 
I, I don't think we have one argument. I don't, uh, you know. Round of applause for me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know. I, we'll put canned laughter. That, that's <laughs> not how he tells it. <laughs> yeah, yo, and I, I look forward to God willing, uh, many more years working with my man, and uh, you know everything, everything, everything was great this year. Well, Let's uh, just hope the paper doesn't fold. Uh, no, no, yeah. you got to ask Aaron his worst one. Well, I'm moving on to that. I was going to ask uh, Aaron. And uh, then I want to hear Steve's because he was on the road for a great many years. <laughs> Falk, what was the? What are the two games this year that really stand out for you? Um, the first and the last. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I think the 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 OKC game here was was, uh, was like a watershed moment almost was certainly a, a standout just because there was so much kind of drama. And it's a, it's a season where ultimately, I mean, let's it still didn't make the playoffs. This, this isn't, you know, the end-all, be-all of anything. There's still a, a lottery season. So, I mean, the highlights, yeah, that game was, was memorable just because of all the um, emotion in that locker room kind of afterward. Um, I'm trying to think. You know, I think, and I think one of the, the turning points was honestly their loss in, in Sacramento earlier in the year. That's that's kind of when they started to, to turn things around a little mm-hmm. bit. I mean, obviously they they worked things out, but I, I think that was a, a low key turning point yeah. for them. And uh, outside of the the uh, the trade and and you know Exum starting and that sort of a thing, um, you know, uh, Hayward hitting that game winner um, against Cleveland. Was stand out just because I'd, I'd spent the whole day <laughs> prior basically trying to track down Sundiata Gaines' memories, and and Hayward was like a foot away from that spot where Gaines hit, hit his game winner. Um, you know, and it, I don't know. It's just there. Are, it's it's all it's always fun. It's always fun to be out on the road. Steve, uh, what game stood out for you the most? And did you, uh, and then talk about a horror story about being on the road. Uh, what game this year? Yeah, one game this out? season. Yeah. Um, Man, we'll um, take and we'll take the ones that uh, Falk said off the table. I, well, I was going to say Hayward hitting that game winner was was huge. Um, gosh, uh, anytime, anytime they uh, they play, you know, the stars of the league, Golden State, even if they get beat, I I, just, I, I find it fascinating when when this Golden State just fascinates me because as 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 much as a year ago, I just didn't believe them, yeah, yeah. and maybe it was a coach. I don't know. I just they took bad shots. They sh- they shot themselves. I just I find it fascinating how good they become. I'll be stunned if they don't win the NBA championship. Golden so State? yeah, so I so I so I kind of watching their games with Golden State was kind of a highlight for me. Um, as far as the other thing, I was thinking while you guys were talking and and. Uh, the first eight or ten years that I did the jazz, they flew commercial, and I was often on the same flights, uh-huh. especially out of Salt Lake and coming back because they'd spend the night and they'd come back. And one night uh, they were flying from from Cleveland to Cincinnati, I believe, and then home, and we end up flying around the Cincinnati port dumping fuel. There was something wrong with the plane, <laughs> and so so they land and there's fire engines up and down the you know. And this is not just the jazz; this is you know the, the regular civilian riders on this plane too. So they get out, they're at the Cincinnati airport for about 10 hours. It's stormy, so the schedule's screwed up anyway. The trainer is trying to get jazz players home. He's got some of them going home through Minneapolis. He's got some of them going through home Chicago. You know, I'm way down on the pecking order, which, which is fair. I mean, and so he's helping me, and I go through Atlanta, leaving at 1 a.m., 
getting home about 5 a.m. That was probably my biggest oh. horror travel story. You know, even beyond the plane you're in is dumping fuel, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, th- that was probably the one. That, the other one I remember is they had an exhibition game in, in uh, Mexico City, uh-huh. and I'd never been to Mexico City, and huge, sprawling city, lots of smog. They stayed in a really nice part of the town, and uh-huh couple of little restaurants right or, and bars right close by so it wasn't dangerous but I remember the rides to and from the airport the military jeep in front with the machine gun on back <laughs> oh and the Lord. military jeep behind us with the, with the machine gun on back and this was you know this was the 90s this was not when terrorism was yeah. it was was it, we were aware of it as we can but I'll remember that trip a little bit <laughs> I can tell by the look on Tony's face he wants that trip <laughs> 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 uh, well, since we're running out of time here, let's go around the room one uh, quick time and uh, just get predictions on who will be in the final, who will eventually be the champion. Um, Falk, we'll start with you. All right. Golden State and Cleveland. Who's going to take it? Cleveland. Steve. I'll take Golden State and Chicago, and as I said, I think I'll be stunned if Golden State doesn't matter. Chicago? I think Chicago, with if it, Rose is back and healthy, as in the Bulls, and I, I don't mess with Steve I Bloom, think, the Midwest guy. I, well, everybody, everybody could pick, uh, pick and pick Miami, uh, or not Miami. Miami? But everybody can pick Cleveland. See, LeBron, LeBron's got me living in the past. Um, <laughs> Atlanta, I think NBA championships are steps, and I don't. They've taken a good step during the regular season. Bottom line is, I, I'll, I'll just be really surprised if Golden State doesn't win the West over San Antonio and uh, and then win it all. Tony. I got San Antonio and Cleveland. I got San Antonio and six. Wow. Ooh. That's close to mine. I got San Antonio and uh, Atlanta and uh, San Antonio and five. San Antonio Wait. and Atlanta can't play each other. Tony did it to yeah, me, so can. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it to Tony. It's impossible. That's never going to happen. <laughs> Tony did it to me. I'm going to do it to him. San Antonio? <laughs> <laughs> Camo. You can't kill the Spurs, man. Uh, I, I like Steve's pick of the Bulls. Uh, I'm going to have them beating the uh, I, the Trailblazers. No, nah, the Trailblazers. <laughs> the Trailblazers? Sure. The 51 and 30 Trailblazers. I would expect a Syracuse man to say something like Damian that. Damian Lillard's in his head. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, guys, do us a big favor. Go to iTunes, subscribe to the show, rate and review. Give us a five-star rating. Kill us in the comment section. Uh, follow all these great reporters on Twitter, at uh, Troop Jazz. Yeah, and I got I got to give a shout-out to our our only real listener. It's not Benny's mom. It's, it's Travis. <laughs> Keep running, Trav. <laughs> Steve Loom, are you S. Loom? Uh, yes, at S. Loom. And uh, Tony Jones? T. Jones at SL Trip. T. Jones at SL Trip. K. Win Mo, and I'm at Benny Raskin. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. For Tribune Sports Radio, this is Ben Raskin. Our weekly podcast is recorded every Tuesday. Subscribe to the show on iTunes at Trib Sports Radio. And while you're there, please rate the show and give us some comments to help improve the podcast. All of our reporters' work can be found at sltrib.com. Please follow us on Twitter at Trib Sports Radio. Tweet us questions and the fellows will be happy to answer them. Or if you feel like writing an email, send it to Tribune Sports Radio, all one word, at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.